0: All right, as I often do, I like to start with a question for you guys. If you guys, if we only had one week to live and you knew it, what would you say and do? If you knew it was only a week or maybe even just one more night, one more day, you've got 24 hours, what would you say and do? What would you want to leave your friends and family with? What would you want to say to them? How would you want to express your love and your gratitude for them? What advice or encouragement would you give? In the book of John, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, like we've got chapters and chapters and chapters of the last moments of Christ. Remember, that's where we are right now. We're actually today in John chapter 13. If you want to turn there, we'll read in just a moment. We are in the night before he dies. We are in that supper, that last supper. We just celebrated communion together. He institutes that beautiful last supper. What we have in the book of John, like I said, is chapters and chapters full of final words. I'm about to leave this place. I'm about to die, and so I've got some things to say to my disciples. Words that I want to leave with them. And he did throughout his ministry. He lived and he showed them and taught them exactly who he was and what a disciple, what a follower, someone who loves and cherishes the kingdom, what they live like. And so in the middle of this dinner, Jesus being the best teacher, Jesus being the most thorough teacher, he doesn't just tell them what to do or how to act. He doesn't just tell them what good Christian behavior looks like, he shows them. That's one of the things I love about our God. We have a God who doesn't just dictate things. As a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I said uh, in, in uh, John chapter 12, right, when the call is to die. If anyone would come after me, like, you got, you got to die. Like, I love the fact that our God doesn't just say things and, and dictate things, but he is the first fruits. He is the one who came and died unless a seed goes into the ground, and dies. It, it stays alone, but if it, got, if it dies, it, it bears much fruit and Christ came to die. He doesn't just say things, how you should do it, how you should live, but he shows it by the most perfect example. He lives the most perfect example of everything that he's taught. He gives us the nature and character of God and God's design for our lives, and he does it by living it himself, right? He lives it. He shows us the character and nature of the omnipotent, holy, eternal God. We see it because Christ has been recorded in the Gospels, and he also shows us God's design for our own lives by living it himself. So let's read John chapter 13. Let's start in verse 1. We'll read about 17 verses today. Could probably do a little bit more, but we'll start, we'll start with that. All right, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... Get this little side note. When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, okay, there's authority, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose, up from, uh, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, but also my hands and my head." Jesus said to him, "The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said not all of you are clean." Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put out put on his outer garments and resumed to his place, he said to them, Blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you, and we come before your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. God, I pray for humble hearts today. I pray for humble hearts before your word, that your Holy Spirit would move in us that your Holy Spirit would move through us. God, that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would help us see what truly is. God, that we'd have the boldness to surrender to you again. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody loves humble beginnings. Everyone loves humble beginnings. We love a good story of humble beginnings. I think of like some famous and successful people that you guys probably are very well aware of. Somebody like Oprah Winfrey, right? Her story is a very humble beginning. She was born to a teenage single mom in Mississippi. She's now the richest black woman in the world, a net worth of almost $3 billion. That's a lot of of dollars. Howard Schultz. He's the founder of Starbucks, some of the worst coffee made. (laughs) Don't tell him I said that. I worked for Starbucks for a brief time back in the day. Right? Humble beginning. He came from nothing. Now he's worth like $4 billion. J.K. Rowling wrote a couple of books, I heard, about some wizards or something. I don't know. She was a struggling single mom. In one year between uh, 2016 and 2017, she made $95 million writing some books about wizards with glasses. See, even if you can't stand these people, even if you don't like these people, everybody loves stories like this stories coming from nothing. You worked hard and you persevered and you had a very humble beginning. But in our lives, I feel like we're trained that you learn and you grow and you fight and struggle and strive and you work hard to better yourself because if you don't, you're going to get stuck doing something lowly. I actually remember teachers saying this to me in, in, in middle school and high school. Like when you didn't want to study and you didn't want to get good grades, right, They would threaten you with, like, you're going to get stuck working at McDonald's or you're going to get stuck digging ditches. I remember saying digging ditches. I'm like, who digs ditches? (laughs) We've been trained, like, to not want to do the dirty jobs, to not do the lowly jobs. Something in the service industry, like, if you're starting off or you're in college and you're, like, just getting going, that's fine. That's a good starter job. That's a good thing to get your, your feet wet and learn some hard work and all of that stuff, but that's not where you want to stay. We love a good, humble beginning, but we don't like to stay there. We don't want to do the worst jobs. We don't want to be the grunts. We don't want to be the one who's told what to do. We want the best jobs. We want to be the person in charge. We want to be the boss, the head honcho, not the employee, not the worker, not low man on the totem pole. We've been trained to be first and not last. We've been trained to be the most important, not the least. We've been trained to grow and learn and earn. Not to be the one that serves, but to be the not to be the one that serves, but to be the one who is served. We teach our kids this stuff. Now, if you have worked hard in your life, if you have worked yourself, maybe you are a business owner in this place. This is not me taking a jab, okay? It's not me taking a jab, but I do want to make you aware of the trap that lays before you. Like, I I know a lot of successful people who have done a lot of great things in life who are very, very successful. But with it comes, when you look at Scripture, when you look at the totality of Scripture, there's a trap in it for us. To not, like like I said, we're we're trained to grow and mature, not not merely for character and, and integrity, but for position and status. We're trained to strive and fight and to work hard, not just for good character and good uh, integrity within ourselves, but for position and status, and we're growing our kids to believe and to desire this kind of stuff. They want to grow up so they're not told what to do, but they can tell others what to do. And so I just want to be clear, overwhelmingly, when I look at Scripture and our text today, You never outgrow humility. You never outgrow humility. Like actually in Christianity... In the kingdom of God, right, when Jesus comes into the world, especially in the gospel of Matthew, right, he is coming to establish his kingdom, to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. God is so gracious to us that he would put on flesh, come on down to tell us what the nature of God is like, to show us what the nature of God is like and what his kingdom, what his economy, what his world is all about, And when you look at Christianity, the kingdom of God, the more mature you are, is indicated by how humble you are. How mature you are is indicated by how willing you are to go low, to be lowly, how willing you are to serve others. And not just willing, as some disconnected heart state, but how much you actually obey the text and serve others. A lot of times there's a disconnect between our heart and what we say we believe and what we hope we believe and our obedience to the text. Hey, I, I smacked right in the face this week with this. Confronted this week in my own heart, praise be to God. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for your conviction. You never outgrow humility. Maturity is marked by humility and humility is marked by service. And in our text today, John chapter 13, you have this beautiful example of Jesus not just telling his servant, excuse me, his disciples to serve, but showing them what humility is all about by grabbing a basin of water, putting a towel around his waist, the master, the teacher, the rabbi, God Himself, humbling himself and washing some dirty feet. I love that we serve a God, that we have a God who loves us enough to serve us. We have a God who loves us enough to not just tell us what to do, but He shows us beautifully how to do it. We have no excuse. We must humble ourselves. Humility is like the baseline characteristic for a Christian. For us to be marked as a Christian is to be marked with humility. And for us to be uh, humble is marked with service. James chapter 4, remind you of this text. Verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Here's a little glimpse into the nature of man. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Right? That's kind of that, that... that, that contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no, uh, to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus, give us grace. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I hope you find encouragement in that. I know it doesn't sound very encouraging. Just thinking that as I'm reading that, I'm like, wow, that's, Joshua's like all full of energy this morning. He's like, oh, that's awesome, vitamin D and sunshine and all this stuff. And I'm like, uh-oh. We never outgrow humility. You actually mature into it. You mature into humility. When you look at humility, it is essential for truly coming to Christ. Our church is pretty great. I like this church. I love what God is doing in this church. This church is pretty great. Amen. Starting to feel like real uneasy about myself. (laughs) Just looking for something. Judas probably attended a better church than Mercy Hill Church. For three years, he attended the Church of Jesus. For three years, he walked with God. His church had the best teacher in the world. They had the best outreach. They had the most powerful prayer times, the most powerful spirit leads, healings, miracles, signs. Maybe you've got a pretty good mentor in your life. Judas had the best mentor. He saw it all. He saw it all. He saw the miracles. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He ate the leftovers of the miracle bread. And clearly, he still wasn't changed. He still wasn't changed. He had this secret life going on, he was real covert in his dealings. Don't be Judas. And unfortunately, statistically, there are probably Judases in this room today. People hearing the word, people playing church, people going through motions, but never humbling themselves before his spirit or his word. Humility is essential in truly coming to Christ. It's not enough to be a part of a great church. It's not enough to sit in some seats on a Sunday and be hearers of the word, but not truly take it into your soul. Don't go through the motions, but humble yourself before his spirit. Humble yourself before his word. Don't be someone who never beholds and treasures Christ as the surpassing worth and instead trades him for a few pieces of silver, which is really just a couple hundred bucks, Please, my plead with you today is to humble yourself before the Spirit of God and before His Word today. Don't be Judas. There's a trap a lot of times, I think, when we're struggling with believing. If I just see God do this, if I just see Jesus this way, if He'd just show up in my life like this, then I'd actually believe. Then I'd actually trust him. If he would just show up in this area and do this thing, if he would just do it like this on my terms, I would believe, I would truly see him. I doubt it. I doubt it. Judas saw all this stuff. Judas saw all this stuff. Don't be the driver and the demander of how God should move in your life. Pray for humility. Pray for humility, that you would see the Spirit of God. Humble yourself before him, that he would soften your heart to actually see and behold, to cherish and treasure Jesus. Don't fall for the trap of, if I see, then I will humble myself and follow. But instead, humble yourself, and then you will see, and then you will love to follow. Do you get the difference there? Don't fall for the trap of, if I see, then I will humble myself and follow. But humble yourself, and then you will see, and you will love to follow. So humility is essential for truly coming to Christ. Humility is also essential for being cleansed by Christ. Let's read our text once again in John uh, chapter 13. Uh, let's start in verse 5 this time. It says, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head!" exclamation point. Jesus said to him, "The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was about to betray him, and that is why he said, "Not all of you are clean." I love people who speak their mind. Love people who speak their mind. And, and really, like, there's, like, you're either one person who loves those type of people or you, like, can't stand those type of people usually. A lot of times they come off as abrasive, right? They come off as, like, a little reactionary sometimes. There are the people that are like, bah! Like, and you're like, like you gotta just be nice and polite. Like, but I love people that speak their mind. Like, even if they're abrasive, I'll take it. Because then you know what you got with them. Like, with Peter, you know what you got with Peter. A lot of times he's a little reactionary, right? He's kind of like in this, in this story, you like almost have two opposites here. You have Judas who's undercover. He's deceptive. He's like covert. He doesn't, like, doesn't reveal his true heart. He's just going through the motions, playing church. He's a good guy on the outside. He's a real bad guy on the inside. Peter, bah, just says stuff. Just like speaks his mind speaks his mind. I heard a pastor say once, Peter's a lot like us. He usually gets it right the second time, right? Like, Peter's a lot like us. He gets it right usually the second time. At first, is like, ah, get it out there. So Jesus pours water. He goes to Peter, and Peter's like, you will never wash my feet. Jesus corrects him, and he does it firmly but gently. Like, when you look at his words here, he's like, if I don't wash you, you got no part of me. Like, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty blunt, but he he does it fairly gently. It's far better than when Peter um, said that Jesus wasn't going to die. I think it was Matthew 16, right? And Jesus is explaining that he's got to go and he's got to die. Jesus is like, no, this this is not going to happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, (laughs) right? It's pretty harsh, right? This is Peter, just kind of says it. And you look at our text here. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. On the surface here, this text is a little bit confusing. You're clean, but if I don't wash you, you've got no part of me. And I'm here to say that you're clean, but not all of you, because Judas, he's evil. And I think what this is getting at here is that in Christ Jesus, when you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you are clean. Right? By faith. By faith, you place your faith in Christ, and his blood atones for your sin. Positionally, you are justified in him. You are clean. Pure. Able to stand before a holy God because of the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness is put on you by faith. You're clean. Okay? There is an element, though, of Christianity that I think is being highlighted here, right? Humility is essential for, being, uh, to, for coming into true relationship with Christ, but I, it's, also, it's also essential for being cleansed by Christ. In Christianity, in being a true follower of Jesus, it is not just a one-and-done type experience. When I come to Christ and I place my faith in him, I am made clean. There's nothing more I can do, nothing more I need to do. I am right before God. But the Christian, the true Christian, the humble Christian, the mature Christian, lives a life confessing and repenting. How many of you know that I, like I still sin all the time. I still sin all the time. I fight really hard to not be covert about it, to not be uh, secret about it, but to live boldly, plainly, and humbly about it. Because in that confession and repentance, the Lord is able to take his word and wash it over me and sanctify me. Right? Ephesians 5, when Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives the same way. It talks about washing with the word, sanctifying, cleansing, washing with the word. Jesus takes his word and washes it over us. If you're not humble, if you're not confessing and repenting, it's not going to happen. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you're clean but I gotta wash your feet. You've already bathed, you're already clean, but I've got to wash your feet. That's an ongoing thing. You realize like when they walk the streets, and you guys, most of you know this, right? The animal stuff that was in the streets. Like open toed sandals, all you ladies with your strappy, strappy sandals, right? Walk dirt roads. Walk dirt roads with animal stuff. Gross. That's just us traversing this world. <laughs> That's just us making it through life. And he constantly washes us over with his word, cleansing us, sanctifying us. We have to get humble and let Jesus make us clean daily. 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 Humility is essential to live in a place of confession and repentance. Here, let me read another uh, piece of John's writings in 1 John chapter 1. Verse 9, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am desperate for Jesus to wash me clean. Sometimes we have a real hard time allowing Jesus to wash us clean. We know that we need him for salvation and then we're going to figure it out on ourselves. We're going to figure it out on our own. We're going to, you know, we're going to the, the old American way, like pick up, grab your bootstraps and like, let's get it. I can do it. I can do it myself. We sound like a three-year-old, by the way. Ever come across a three-year-old that was pretty self-sufficient? Clearly, they can't do it, but they're going to try real hard. That's, that's us in our sin. I'm going to figure it out. I can do it. Like a three-year-old trying to tie his shoes. I can do it, Mom. I can do it. You don't know how. Jesus is like looking at you going, you can't do it. You weren't designed to do it. I came to do it. Let me do it. Don't fall into the trap of I'll do it myself. I'll clean myself up. Humble yourself before God. Confess your sins and your shortfalls and allow Christ to wash and clean your feet. So humility is essential for truly coming to Christ. Humility is essential for being cleansed by Christ. My last point with you guys today is humility is essential for serving like Christ. Let's read the text again, John 13, starting verse 12 this time. It says, When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed to his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and... You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Ushers, bring the basins out, please. No, I'm just kidding. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If anyone had a right to be served, if anyone has honor to be served, if anyone has glory and splendor to be served, if anyone has the position to be served, it's God. It's Jesus. It's the eternal word, the one who was and is to come. I love Philippians chapter 2. I'm sure you guys know this verse. Paul's instruction to the church in Philippi, verse 3, it starts, it says, Do not, uh, excuse me, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, it's our theme this morning, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus thought, who though was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not hold on to his divinity, divinity, but he emptied himself. Verse 7, taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If anyone deserves to be served, it's God, and God decided to serve us. Luke records a dispute that the disciples were having. It's probably the same night. This might even be just kind of a different version of of, of the similar account. Probably happening the same night during this feast. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27. It says, A dispute uh, also arose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. The disciples are fighting during the Last Supper about which one of them is the most awesome and he said to them, Kings of the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one of the, serve, the one who serves. Our God humbled himself and serves. He is God, exalted, worthy of highest praise. Yet not only does he tell us how to live, he shows us how to live in the most beautiful example of humility and service. You guys ever heard the phrase, go the extra mile? You hear that in business a lot. You hear that like companies, like we go the extra mile. Usually they're trying to sell you something. We go the extra mile. Do you realize that that comes from Jesus? That comes from this time? To go above and beyond, this comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would see you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So at this time, um, you guys know that Rome occupies Israel. They are the ones in charge. They are the ones uh, that are oppressing this people. And during this time, like if a Roman soldier, there there was a law written that if a Roman soldier, he could ask any Jew to grab their pack and to go a mile with them, didn't matter what the Jew was doing. It didn't matter if they were going the opposite direction. didn't matter if they had stuff in their hands. A Roman soldier could look at them and say, hey, grab my pack and come with me. And you had to go a mile, at least a mile with them. Like, what an abuse. Like, what an overstep of rights. And that reference is that if anyone forces you, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Humble yourself and serve even those who are abusing you. What? What? Judas is at the table tonight. The basin, the water, the towel. He knows what Judas is about to do. In our next few verses, he's going to say, The one who I take the bread, get the dip, dip the bread in, and give it to, he's the one who's going to betray me. Like he, know, like, he knows, and he still is washing his feet. In Christ's instruction to us, but also his beautiful example to us in the way that he has served, we see today the greatest example of humility and service the world has ever known. And he does it on his way to the cross, where he really pours it all out, where he really pours out his love, where he really pours out his humility and service for his bride. If you serve, if you humble yourself and serve like Jesus, there is blessing for you. Did you notice that in our text today? Verse 16 says truly truly I say to you a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17 If you know these things blessed are you if you do them. So often there's a disconnect between Sundays and the rest of the week, I fear. There's a disconnect We have these moments where we're sitting in these seats and we're hearing a message and we're hearing the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, I know, is faithful to our church and he is moving in our hearts. And lots of times there's conviction. That's what I pray for. That's what I need in my own life. I need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to stay filthy I want to know where I'm off. I want to know where this, this life in my best efforts don't line up with his word so that I can bring my life in alignment with his word. And so a lot of times, though, like we're sitting here and we're confronted with our own sinfulness. We're confronted with our own lack, where we do fall short, where I am not humble, where I'm full of myself, I'm full of my pride, I'm full of me. And then conviction comes and we get like all uncomfortable with it. We we don't do the deep work of submission. We don't do that deep spear work. That's why we've been trying to create more response time at the end of service on Sundays. Where we can sit in the Word of God for just a minute, sit with his Holy Spirit, and not just like take that uncomfortable conviction and go, ah, I got to get out for brunch. (laughs) Got to get out those doors. But we can sit in that for a moment And allow the Spirit of God to wash over us so that when we leave this place, we are not the same. Our flesh doesn't want to die to the Spirit. It doesn't want you to do the Word. It doesn't want you to truly obey. It doesn't want to serve, but it wants to be served. Our flesh wants that. That's why it's so important to spend time pressing into a spirit, pressing into prayer, pressing pressing into worship, and do the deep work of confession and repentance to be transformed into doers of the word. Because in verse 17, it says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. As we wrap up this morning, I'm going to invite Nate to come back up. We're going to worship. We're going to... Uh, spend some time in his presence here in a moment. I am so grateful that we serve a God that doesn't just tell us what to do, but gives us the greatest example of humility and service this world has ever known. That God washed dirty feet on his way to the cross. On his way to a perfect holy God dying for sinful humanity. On his way there, he washed dirty feet. And he calls his followers, he calls us to do likewise, to humble ourselves and to serve, and that when they humble themselves and serve, they will be blessed in doing so. I love what God is doing in our church. There's a team of us that have been brainstorming some different service ideas. There's going to be a couple things we're going to be bringing before you guys here in the next couple of weeks and months, ways that we can serve our communities, ways that we can serve one another. My encouragement for you this morning is don't wait. Don't wait. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open to the needs that are in this congregation. Serve each other. Keep your ears open, keep your eyes open to the needs of your neighbors in your neighborhood at home. Husbands, don't wait. I said it a few weeks ago, your family is desperate for you to die to yourself and serve them. Serve your wife. If there's tension in your home, if there's, if there's uh, marriage stuff going on, troubles, if there's tension or whatever it is, serve. Serve right through it. Serve your way out of it. Serve her, serve your wife. Yeah, but you don't understand. She—I I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what she. Christ looked at me, vile, wretched, enemy of His. He loved me, and died for me. He looked at Judas, knowing well, aware what he was going to do. He washed his feet. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. I know they drive you nuts sometimes. I know they don't do all the right stuff all the time. Serve them anyway. Let them behold Jesus in your life, that he might become more like Jesus too. Parents, serve your kids together. Kids, honor your mom and dad by serving them. Let your faith prove genuine by doing the word of God. And Jesus said, you will be blessed. I'm grateful for what God's doing in this church. There's his word. Now you respond. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. You respond appropriately. Do the deep work. Do the deep work of humbling yourself before him today. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for your example in Scripture. Thank you for your spirit alive in us right now in this place. Thank you, God, that we get to worship you, come before you. Thank you, God, that your word washes over us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that you do it. You do it. I can't do it. I don't have to do it. It's all in you. Thanks be to God. Let that empower us. Let that fill us with joy. Let that be the good news our hearts have been longing for. Let us come to you in humility. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, let's stand and let's sing together.